Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. World is trying to get it together, trying to help their fellow man, hoping we can make Yes, well, there we go. It's uh, an introduction and a time for another episode of Blog Talk Radio on the catch. We're so glad you're listening, whether uh, you are listening right now, uh, today, this on our Tuesday night show, or if you are uh, listening later in the podcast. And we are we welcome you and uh, are glad you've turned tuned in and hope you will uh, pick up on many of the other uh, interviews that we have. You can go back through almost two or three years now of podcasts of uh, incredible guests we've had here on the catch. And I know there's much to learn um, and especially because we're talking about Christians in the marketplace. And that's really what we want to discuss, especially today. And that's why our guest today is, uh, is particularly uh, helpful to this discussion because uh, he has spent his life actually practicing leadership in the intersection of for-profit and non-profit businesses the Theological Academy, and the local church. And uh, so he's, he's really uh, talks and thinks a lot about the integration of our faith culture in which we live. They spend his life doing this. So uh, this is going to be a wonderful uh, uh, chance to discuss some of these issues today with uh, our guest from... Uh, from his home in the Northwest, uh, Uli Chi. Uh, Uli, welcome to The Catch on Blog Talk Radio. John, thank you. It's a great privilege to be with you. Uli, I'd love to talk about uh, a little bit about your background. And and I think, uh, as you mentioned, your, your name indicates... Uh, Part of that, uh, Uli, U-L-Y, being uh, a German word, I guess, or at least a, a proper name from Germany, and Chi, C-H-I, um, you, a Chinese name. Your mom was German. Your your dad was uh, a, a Chinese. Uh, how, tell us about that. Um, how did they meet? And what was that like uh, growing up in a in a mixed uh, family like that? Yeah, John. It's uh, yes, it was quite an adventure. Um, we, um, I, my mother, as you said, was German. My father was Chinese. They actually met in the 1930s in uh, Hitler, Germany, of all places. Um, mm-hmm. 
an unusual story, and there could much more that could be said about that. But uh, suffice it to say, they um, they met uh, there and fell in love. And in 1941, they uh, they got married as an interracial couple in, in Hitler, Germany. My favorite line about my own story is that I shouldn't be here. <laughs> you know, that, that shouldn't have happened, right? I mean, that that, sh- that was uh, what was not uh, something that was even not just mm. frowned upon, it was illegal, right? It was actually against the law and uh, through a variety of um, wow. connections, uh, they were able to make it happen, but it was just an unusual thing. So so that's the, that was the beginning of my family. I, I was born later. Uh, they, they lived in Germany for a while, and then they, um, after the war, they went to China and found themselves in the middle of the Chinese Civil War in the late 1940s, and um, again escaped once more to Taiwan, and that's actually where I was born in the 1950s. So that's where my life began in the providence of God, and and, uh, so that's the start of my story. Wow. So you were in, uh, and how long were you then in Taiwan, and when did you when did you uh, move here to the to the states? Well, I was uh, I lived in Taiwan uh, for about six years. Then we actually moved, interestingly enough, back to Germany. My father's work took him back there, and so we were there for three or uh, four years. And we came to the United States in 1963, and uh, settled in the in the Northwest in the Seattle area, and have lived uh, been here ever since. So literally, have moved around a lot in my early days, but have been mm-hmm. fairly rooted in all my last you know since I was about ten. So I've been been here since then. Wow, uh, Uli, you have a you have a blog that you wrote about this, and uh, the opening the opening statement is one of the foundation one of the foundational assertions of Scripture is that all human beings are created in God's image. There are no privileged races or individuals in God's eyes. That declaration as a radical challenge to the power of Pharaoh in Egypt during Israel's enslavement, as it was to the Nazi regime in my parents' day, and as it is to the power of structural racism in our generation, what will we do with that truth now? What a question, Lee. What will we do with that truth now? Talk about this. Yeah, like I said, I I uh, I shouldn't be here, and and the uh, the nature of um, uh, human society has cre- created systems where we, you know, privilege certain classes of people, and whether it's uh, Egypt uh, in the in the days of uh, in biblical times, or in the Nazi in Germany, where you know. The Nazis believed that certain um, white Aryans were, in fact, um, uh, better than other human beings. And so I think one of the great uh, challenges for us today is is to take seriously the fact that everyone, every human being, no matter who they are, no matter what race they are, no matter what conditions they are, is made in the image of God. And that's a great, um, both a great leveling place, uh, but it's also a great privilege, a gift that, we need to acknowledge in one another, and it's you know it's it's, it's tough to to sometimes take that seriously because we have our own group that we like to hang out with, you know. And I think uh, you know in my in my parents' day, you know, the Nazis 
you know, literally um, made it illegal uh, to marry certain kinds, other kinds of people. Mm-hmm. My mother actually tells a story that uh, when she was dating my dad, that um, they were, um, um, she was called by the Gestapo quarters to basically, and she was told, good German girls don't date foreigners. <laughs> mm. and she said, what do you mean? We're just friends. And she made light of it a little bit. She said, the guy said, no, no, you know what we mean. <laughs> she says, if you keep it up, uh, uh, they said, if you keep it up, you'll disappear. And she had Jewish friends disappeared wow. from her schools. We, we all know where they went ultimately. And now she was uh, lucky. I mean, she was very lucky in the sense that she not only was able to get married, but she survived and she continued to live. And uh, she did lose her citizenship. Interestingly enough, um, she was literally uh, made a non-citizen. You know, and again, you know, in a day where we're struggling with, you know, how we treat people who are unlike us, foreigners, uh, immigrants. Yeah. You know, I think we. It's it's easy to, you know, to take for granted the fact that the Christian revelation and the biblical revelation says we're all made in the image of God, and that's that's profoundly true and and something we wrestle with. Right? So, wow, how can we? How do you think we can make that real in in our own lives, especially as Christians today, um, that uh, that we might we might be different, that we, we might treat people uh, the same. Uh, how, how do we, I, I, it's a, I know that's a big, that's a wide question. Yeah. Yeah. Just talk about that. Yeah, well, we're, yeah, no, it's, I mean, I think it begins, um, it's easy to, you know, begin sort of um, at an abstract level and talk about, you know, the mm-hmm. great truths of scripture, but I think at a practical level, it's getting to know people who are different from us and being willing to, to get to know mm. others who are, you know, we tend to, you know, I live in a in a middle class in an upper middle class neighborhood, and it's easy to associate with people like me. And I think we we just need to be willing to reach out and and to know people to get to know folks. Um, and I think I think um, as as the church, I think sometimes we tend to congregate with those folks who are um, mm-hmm. who think like us, right? I mean, whether theologically or otherwise, and I think I, I suspect one of the challenges we're facing in the church today is that, you know, we have disagreements and one, and we are that's part of learning how to live with other folks who are different from us. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe I can tell you a quick story. This is not about oh, a racial please. thing, but just between my, my wife and my, um, my wife Gail, and I, you know, we got married. We were deeply in love, and and uh, turned out that um, when we were, when our kids were growing up, we we um, they were we became empty nesters, and we actually um, worked with some friends of ours, a, a woman who was the dean of the school of psychology at Fuller Seminary, who was a good friend, and and said, hey, you know, we're trying to think about this new season of our lives, and um, can you? Uh, help us with that in terms of we think about what our calling is, what we're going to do together the rest of our lives. And she said, well, maybe what we should do is first is take a sort of a, get a psychological profile test. And she gave us the latest and greatest test. And I just remember her name was Linda. And I sat down, we sat down with her at our coffee table and around our coffee table. And, and she, she looked at us and she laughed and says, you know, I'm amazed you're still together. <laughs> you, know, you are so different from one another. You know, but I think I think in the providence of God, I think part of being made in the image of God, as we were talking about, is that we are made to be different. We are made to um, mm-hmm. 
learn to appreciate and to love one another. I think, you know, it begins in, in a certain sense in our most intimate of relationships. You know, I got yeah. married when I married you. Know, there were things that I was attracted to, but also things that I thought I could help her with. <laughs> you know, where she was different <laughs> from me. And one of the things I've learned in my life over time is that, you know, there are differences in the other person um, that are not things that I need to fix, but that are things that are meant to help complement me and my gifts. Um, you know, I, I tend to be more optimistic, and she tends to be a little bit more realistic in her views of things, yeah. and I, that's oftentimes helpful. So I, I say that as a way of saying that I think um, with dealing with, I think the, the big challenge of being made in the image of God is not just that we individually are made in the image of God, but that we as a community are meant to reflect God as a community of people. And that means learning to live with and love people who are different from us. And I think yeah. that's, that's tough to do. And, and the more different they are, the harder it becomes. And I think that's part of our growth as Christians, I think, is to learn to get to know others and to appreciate mm-hmm. our differences, not simply turn them into copies of ourselves and, you know, I think as I look at the, you know, I've grown up now in the church for quite a long time, and I think there's sort of a, there's almost a strain sometimes in in the church that we need to turn everybody into Anglo-Saxon Protestants, <laughs> to people who look like many of us, and I, that's not that's not the case. You know, the church is clearly meant to be. The image yeah. of God is is not just a, a single thing; it's a community, a rich panoply of, you know, people and characteristics. And I think that's one of the gifts that we need to discover as a church today. That's wonderful. Um, you know, with with your parents being uh, an interracial couple, uh, did that affect you at all when you were growing up? Were there any, any stories about that? Any challenges for you? Uh, yeah. you, you mean other than that? I might not exist. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, no, yeah. yeah, no, I, you know, there are, I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's, um, um, yeah, I think that's, that's a really good question. I think, uh, sort of, um, I think aspects of it is just learning to live with other, I mean, just start a simple thing. My mother, uh, went with my dad to China after the war. She didn't speak Chinese at all. And she lived, she literally sort of, uh, became part of their family and had to learn sort of from the ground up how mm-hmm. to, you know, appreciate Chinese culture. And and mm-hmm. um, and I think that, you know, just learning how to adapt and to live in a culture that is multicultural is, I think that's much more like actually the kingdom of God is meant, intended to be. We're meant to sort of embody those kinds of uh, differences and, and appreciate them in a, in a meaningful way. Um, I think another is that, um, you know, sort of on a more, and that was a positive experience for it. That wasn't a negative thing at all. Um, I think on the, on the negative side, I think, you know, the reality is, um, you know, my, my dad, I think, um, experienced more because he was, he was Chinese, full Chinese. I'm half and I'm probably look more European, um, a bit more European, certainly than he did. I think he experienced more sort of direct discrimination. And I think it's yeah. um, because I didn't see it directly. I, I sort of thought maybe it wasn't a big deal, but I, my dad, you know, would take me aside and say, you know, this is, you know, I've seen stuff that maybe you haven't seen. I think, again, that's easy to, 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 to forget. 
And I, I realize now, actually, um, you know, where I live here in Seattle area, and, and Seattle is, a, as most people, many people know, is a pretty liberal place. But here, even here, uh, the, the house that I live in today, I could not have owned 40 years ago or 60 years ago. Uh, hmm. There were there were deed restrictions uh, for racial um, for certain hmm. races, and I couldn't have lived here. My kids couldn't have lived here. Um, and you know, on top of that, you know, when, if my parents had been in the United States when they mm-hmm. married in the forties, there are a number of states, perhaps not the state of Washington, but other states where they couldn't have gotten married for the same reason because it was illegal. And so, I mean, those are things that are. Yeah. Um, it's it's uh, it's easy to um, again because I I I feel like I've been I've I've had fairly benign uh, experiences of racism, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean it isn't there. And I think one of the things I've had to learn um, and that I had to reflect on is that there's more stuff under the surface than we often realize. And I think and I think much of what's going on in this last year has been an awakening for me personally, even, and even though I, I've come from a mixed race marriage that, that, that meant that I shouldn't even be here. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, um, you know, my life has been actually pretty, pretty uh, innocuous in terms of the racial issues, but that doesn't mean it's not there. And I think I, it's easy for me to turn a blind eye as a Christian to that even and say, Hey, what's the problem? But actually there is a problem. And I think facing that and being honest about that and seeing what, um, you know, I think my dad experienced more of what my black brothers and sisters have experienced than I have. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. coming to terms with that is is um, an important thing for me. Yeah, yeah. Louis, you, uh, uh, you know, in your career, you uh, originally were a, a businessman and, and uh, involved in, in, uh, your own company, uh, your own uh, business software, um, technological entrepreneur. Uh, and then it seems uh, you have moved in more into uh, teaching and writing and speaking about the integration of our faith with, with uh, what we're doing in the world. And uh, how, how did, how did that become a pursuit for you? You know, living living faith out in the marketplace. How did you get interested in that? And and uh, tell us tell us a little bit about uh, that part of your life. Sure. Well, let me start at the beginning. I, I think it's a good story about that. I I didn't as you, know, you might infer from my background. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, right. uh, and I came to Christ um, when I was a teenager and through the through some great uh, work. Um, and so I became a real enthusiastic Christian. I was very, I, I loved math and sciences, and I did a lot of geeky things when I was young, and I wanted to be a physicist uh, when I was in my teens. And and then uh, I, I um, came to Christ through the ministry of Young Life, and my, my all of a sudden I wanted, I was talking to my mom about maybe becoming a pastor or a missionary or something, and my mom came, went to my Young Life leader and said, you know, my son wanted to be a physicist, and now he wants to be a pastor and missionary. What have you done to my son? And uh, <laughs> so it was, you know, partly in jest, but but actually partly quite serious, saying, "Hey, what's going on here?" And 
And I think, uh-huh. you know, like many who come to Christ from sort of non, no, no Christian or religious background, there was a great enthusiasm for taking God seriously. And I think it took me a while um, to, and I, there were some other folks who were wise who came alongside me and said, hey, I have to, you know, become a pastor and missionary to fulfill God's calling and vocation for you. And and so that started a lifelong journey for me in many ways. And I think uh, one of the challenges in the church, and I know I know this is something that's of great interest to you, is that I think there's a strain of theology that sometimes, you know, privileges certain kinds of work as being better or more holy or, or you know, yeah. of greater worth to God. And I think I think that's a theological mistake, and I think, uh, and and I've come to believe that. And but I've also not only believe it, I've wrestled with that question because it's sort of it's a deeply personal question for me because I I don't I don't feel called to be a pastor. I don't feel called to be a missionary in that sense. Mm-hmm. That's, those are wonderful callings, right? And I know lots of friends who are, and but that's not my calling. I was called to to um, be a technologist and to create things that would serve. Um, the common good in that way, but it was, but there was also almost sort of a sense of um, feeling a bit like, not by everyone, but by some, it's so you're, you know, you're a second class Christian or something. And I think um, I've wrestled with that hmm. at, at an emotional level and intellectual level. And I think that, you know, um, and I believe deeply now that that's, that's mistaken and that in fact God calls us to serve um, um, his kingdom in many, many different ways for the glory mm-hmm. of God and for the restoration of his creation ultimately. Uh, but that's um, that wasn't a that wasn't a straightforward thing. I, I, and so I think because I've wrestled with it so much as, as I've watched many, many, many others of my friends and colleagues wrestle with it, I've um, I've uh, perhaps out of a sense of need and necessity and perhaps opportunity through the through the work of the spirit felt like it's an opportunity now to reflect on that and write about that and help others so that it's uh, not as not as big of a jump for some folks. And, yeah. Um, so that's that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. So what you're saying is that um, calling is a very broad uh, broad thing. It's, it's not we can be called of God. Uh, right. to to do something uh, quote yeah. secular. Uh, right. Talk about that a little bit. Uh, some more. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think there's. Yeah, I think calling, um, as some others have said more um, articulated than I can. I think there's sort of everyone is called in one sense to in a, into a relationship with Jesus, right? So there's a relational mm-hmm. dimension that's common for all human beings. You're meant to have a relationship with God and through Jesus Christ. And that's, that's the, in some sense, the, the most foundational calling. But then, then above the, or, or in addition to that, there is a calling that everyone has to serve God in a meaningful way. I think part of our problem has been in the past that we've sort of divided the world into what is spiritual and what is secular. And I think what I've, what I've learned over the years is that that distinction is actually not a very biblical distinction. It's much more sort of a, a Greek distinction where sort of, you know, physical things are bad and you know, spiritual or intellectual mm-hmm. things are good. And, and so um, we actually disdain the creation and 
you know, we think, you know, we're the, the ultimate end is for us to all get, you know, our disembodied souls to heaven. And actually, you know, what God, what Paul talks about, what, what New Testament and all Scripture talks about is that there, the ultimate end isn't disembodied souls in heaven, but resurrected <laughs> human beings, where we get our physical bodies transformed back in a way that's mysterious and we don't understand fully. But we're going to be fully integrated human beings. We won't be just spirits floating from the ethereal heaven. We will actually be real material beings mm. who are able to actually... In fact, if you go back to Genesis, God created us as human beings to make him visible to the world. Uh, one of my favorite metaphors is sort of like God is like electricity and we're like light bulbs, right? So you can't see electricity, but you can see light as through a light bulb. Mm. And as, hmm. as human beings, we are meant to be like light bulbs in the world. Right? We are hmm. meant to make the invisible God visible through through our actions, through our words, through our whole lives. And that will never, that will one day in the new hmm. heavens and the earth be restored in a way that we can we can only begin to imagine. And so that's that's what I'm trying. So that's I mean that's sort of a really big uh, picture view of this. But I think that that's informs great. me in terms of of what kind of work matters today. You know, it isn't just the spiritual stuff that matters. It's our work. So people who are bakers, people who build bodies, uh, people who write software, you know, they're doing work. If they're doing it for the glory of God and for the common good, things that will ultimately somehow endure. And so that's what gives me hope. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, Uli, I... I'm assuming that you do some speaking. Is that right? Am I right about that? I do on occasion. Not yeah. <laughs> okay. Because I have a question. I hope I'm not going to put yeah. you on the spot on this one, but I thought it would be a, a really fun way to get at, get at some of your thinking. If we were going sure. to have a banquet for all of our online membership, we can all get them together and we ask you to come speak to us. What would you What would you want to tell us? What would be the big thing you would want to speak on? Um, <laughs> I'd love to hear. Oh you wow! Oh <laughs> boy, you have set me up. That's kind of a thing to yeah to say one thing about that. Well, um, wow, that's a that's a big thing. Um, I'll I'll tell you what. Um, I think the things that um, I mean, I've sort of said some of it already. I think what yeah, I said. the things that I would care a great deal about is saying, you know, um, human beings are created in the image of God, and they're they're meant to be fully embodied physical beings and to do good work for eternity, mm-hmm. and that that's not something that ends with our life now, and that therefore what we do now has continuity with what is going to happen in eternity. I think we sort of view the final judgment somehow as the end of all things and, and that we get to enjoy God forever. But there's no, I think as you look at the biblical revelation, I, what I see is there's, there's, there is discontinuity, but there's also, you know, we will, as, as the last words are, that are written about what God, human beings do, we will reign with God forever and ever. And that reigning involves somehow the expression of doing good work into eternity and so I think figuring so I think one of the great things for me is to say um, you know what you do now matters 
and will matter into eternity. And therefore, what you do now, you should, we should take seriously what we do now and mm-hmm. take seriously the fact that God calls us to do that work um, before the face of God and in the face of eternity. Um, mm-hmm. So that's one thing I would say, I think. Um, the other thing is I think, um, you know, I've, um, a lot of the things I'm writing currently is on the general topic of leadership, and I think uh, we haven't talked much about that, but I think I'm very concerned about just, you know, um, the way leadership is looked at today. I think there's a lot of cynicism about leadership, whether it's secular or Christian, and I think uh, we need to learn again what it means to be leaders in the biblical sense, and a lot of it is tied to the fact that we are actually called to be what I would call lead servants, mm. uh, that our job is to, to serve others by going ahead of them and taking on some of the things that um, other people aren't willing to do. Mm. Wow. Wow. That sounds great. We, we may have to have you back and talk just the whole time on leadership. That, that would be a, that would be great. That would be fun. <laughs> We've run out of time, is, I know. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've run out of time. I have one more question for you. Um, sure. And that is, if you were able to correct one thing about Christians in general in this country, what would that be? I think um, at the risk of using a, a technical term, I think what we need as Christians is epistemological humility. And what I mean by that is a humility about what we know, what we think we know. I think as Christians, particularly as evangelicals, and I consider myself one, is that we we are much too certain about some things that I think perhaps we ought to be a little bit more careful about. Um, I, uh, mm. Some of you, some of your listeners may know the name Steve Hainer. Steve Hainer was uh, head of InterVarsity and, and uh, was a pastor many years ago. And one of the things he said on his deathbed, which I found really, really instructive, he said, you know, I believe in absolute truth, but I also hold lightly my ability to perceive it. And I think as Christians, we think we perceive the truth with much greater degree of certainty than we we actually do. And and it's worth remembering that Jesus said, I am the truth, and that truth ultimately is embodied in a person. Hmm. Sounds like... uh... It sounds like a level of humility uh, that you're talking about. It does. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. Well, Louis, thank you so much. This has been very enlightening. And uh, like I say, we we may have to have you back and talk about leadership, but I I love these things you've shared with us today. And they're they're very important, I think, for us as as believers, especially in the marketplace. So thank you thank so you, much. Thank you, Thanks. And thank you for all your work over the years. We're very grateful for you, too. Okay. I appreciate that. All right. Well, have a good one. Thank you so much. God bless. Thanks, John. Yep. Bye-bye. Well, there you go, folks. That was Uli Chi and uh, some wonderful thoughts about race, about differences, about accepting one another, about the image of God, about work and calling. Boy, we covered a lot. That was great. Um, Listen to it again if you need to. I think you probably do need to. That's the beauty of these. You can roll right back and hear it again 
tell your friends about it, uh, send it. You can send the link to your friends, uh, those you think will benefit. So use these. This, this is, these blog talk radio shows are here for you to learn from and to use uh, with your friends and family. So God bless. Thank you so much for joining us. And tune in next week for another episode of Blog Talk Radio on the guest. God bless you.